Welcome to another episode of Strange Places. I'm your host, Tom Allen. Each episode, I sit down and chat with interesting new guests about their travel experiences, along with many other topics. Every episode has something totally new with fresh perspectives from different types of travelers. I learn a lot from hearing stories and tips from travelers who do things a little differently than I do, and I think you will too. Strange Places is brought to you by FlightsMachine.com, a service that sends you incredibly cheap airfare deals for your home airport. With deals like 315 round trip to Venice, Italy, or 280 round trip to Hawaii, you can save hundreds each time you book and use all that leftover money on the actual trip. Visit flightsmachine.com slash strange places for 50% off your first six months. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us. Okay, today I have Joey Howell with me. Hey, Joey. Hello. And Kevin Box. Howdy. Uh, these two are coming on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about bike touring, which is a really interesting way to travel around on the cheap, would you guys say? Very cheap. And also get some very serious exercise while you're out on the road. Absolutely. Nice, um, slow exercise. Yeah. <laughs> so these two have done a lot of um, bike touring in the U.S. and elsewhere. Joey, I know you did some bike touring in Mexico with James, right? Yeah. So my most recent bike tour was down in Baja. Yeah. But other than that, all in the U.S. Yeah. Right on. And what about you, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I've only toured in the U.S. I've done like, yeah. I think, four or 5,000 miles of touring, which has all been in the U.S. Well, yeah, the the story I heard about you recently was you moved here with your bike. Yeah, I moved to Salt Lake City from Wisconsin on a bicycle <laughs> um, for reasons that are tangential to bike touring. But uh, yeah, I basically got rid of almost all my stuff in Wisconsin and got on a bike. Yeah. And got here like six weeks later. That was the summer of 2017, and it was really, really sweet. And I did it by myself which definitely changes the character of a bike tour like whether or not you're with other people because mm-hmm. um, you get to decide what you want out of it but yeah that was that was the big one that was about 2100 miles wow mm-hmm. how long did that take you uh it was about six weeks of riding it was about six weeks of riding um nice. yeah and because <clears throat> i was doing it by myself it became like about the distance you know, because there's no compromise mm-hmm. with the other with any other people. So it was basically I just ended up wanting to see how far I could go, which um, it's a good example of like the ways in which bike touring's a pretty extreme endeavor because it was like just so uncomfortable for so long, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just like an extreme an extreme level of discomfort that um, it really sort of. It became something like kind of magical almost. Yeah. What is it's the, uh, I think I heard someone say that the other day, the, um, the bike touring, uh, misery constant. Yeah. I said that you said <laughs> it's that the, yeah. it doesn't like conditions will change, but the misery is constant. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and like, just as a couple examples, like, uh, when I crossed Illinois, I, I did it like 
So I went from Chicago area down to St. Louis, like along old Route 66, and there was a historic heat wave. Like it was above 100 degrees mm-hmm. and 100% humidity for like weeks. And uh, and it took me, I don't know, four or five days to ride that far. And it was just like, it was so hot. And it was like in such rural areas, like I would come up to the only gas station in town and it would be a Casey's <clears throat> and... Um, and the people I would talk to, you know, they'd see me on a bike and they're like, where are you going? And, and we would have brief conversations and people were like literally concerned for my sanity. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there was just like no comprehension about what I was doing because it was like, I didn't see anybody else doing what I was doing. Um, and it just turns out that it wasn't a very popular route. Yeah. But, you know, this would, is in the, in the Midwest this, kind of yeah. in the rural areas. In rural right? Midwest. Where? Um, former route 66 uh so these were like pretty pretty rural areas and and it ended up being that i would like come up to a gas station and uh just stand in the beer cooler for 10 minutes and not buy anything and they, yeah. would, let, they would let me do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just my, heat up the beer cooler yeah. <laughs> my experience with uh coming across people in the midwest while bike touring is they're often very confused right yeah and will almost always ask why you know there's not really a good response no not a short Uh one what would you say i i would say i've said a lot of things but one of the best responses i've heard of another bike tourist actually uh told me that that it's it is the best mode of travel because when you're driving in a car and you're driving through a landscape you're it's like watching a TV, right? Things are flying by. And when he started describing bike touring as not watching a TV show, but actually interacting with the landscape and like really slowing things down, mm-hmm. that was probably the best way that I've ever heard it described. And this was a, a road construction worker that I ran into and just chatted with for 20 minutes in Colorado. Yeah as I was waiting for, you know, the, the trucks and the construction crew to get out of the way so I could keep biking. And yeah. The lollipop man, the lollipop man, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as they call him in Australia. I, I had think. the, the stop facing me <laughs> and the slow was on the other side of his lollipop sign, but it, it led to a great conversation. Wow. That's really cool. And that, that was probably the best way I've ever heard it described. Yeah. So you had people legitimately just like concerned that you were going through a crisis or something and, or you like had just lost it or I thought you were going to be able to bike somewhere that was impossible. That was just impossible. And I'm sure it seemed that way. And actually I'm sure if I could look at myself and what I looked like at that moment, (laughs) I would kind of understand the alarm Um, just because it was, you know, 70 miles was a pretty big day when it's 105 degrees and you know, you just drink more water and you take it oh, slow man. and you just keep going. 105. I, I remember, man, maybe two years ago we were driving down to Moab somewhere in that area. And we saw someone on like a long stretch of highway and it was like 105 mm-hmm. and it was, it was just like, what in the world? Like, how can you even survive biking through there? It's, there's nothing for like you know, 60 miles 60 in miles, each direction, yeah. you know, so mm-hmm. they must've been doing a huge long or, you know, whatever. There's probably something closer than that. Sure. But 
you the, can you can cover some big distances if you have a lot of water and and that's really just ready thing, to yeah. go. And and out east, you're never really that far from a gas station. Like it's it's pretty unusual that you're more than twenty miles from at least plumbing. Probably like, anywhere from anywhere. Even yeah. here in Utah, there's there's a gas station at every intersection of the highways, pretty mm-hmm. much. So. There were some sections in like western Colorado that I went like sixty miles without water, and I would come to a rest stop that rest stop <clears> that it turns out was not plumbed. And then I, I actually a couple of times would like bum some bottled water from a motorist, <laughs> which yeah, people are really nice about that. Yeah. Had to do that before or uh, knock on someone's door. I've done that also. If you're banking on a single small town, uh-huh. yeah. in, I've had to do this in Utah and, and Colorado, uh, where you're banking on a gas station in a small town, you show up and... Well, it happened in Utah in Whip Up, which is not even a town, but it's on a map. <laughs> Whip Up? Whip Up is not a town. <laughs> it is a grassy field with some cows in it. <laughs> nice. But when you're banking on a gas station being open and it's been closed for 10 years or something, yeah. and you roll up and you're, well. Is that right near Floyd? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you do get a lot of generosity from strangers. Which is yeah, really I need to do that. Thing. Actually, I, that would be an awesome thing to just, you know, pull over to a, a bike tour guy and just like, you need water, mm-hmm. and just give fill up all his water bladders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solid. Or you know, people will stop and and give you snacks or water. Mm-hmm. Snacks will always cold go cold beer from the cooler. Cold beer. Oh my god. Oh yeah. yeah, cold beer. I got I got three cold beers. Um, from this couple that were driving up over a pass in Fish Lake uh, mm-hmm. National Forest, and and I was getting pretty darn close to the top, and they pull over, and there's a little gravel pull out on the side, and uh, you know I had, I had enough water, but seeing three ice cold beers come out of a cooler, yeah, especially because I've been munching a lot of Cheetos going yeah. up that pass that like flaming hot, flaming hot, oh, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know it, it turns out that. Uh, if you take everything out of your handlebar bag, the one that's right in front of your face, you can fit a family-sized bag of flaming Hot Cheetos in it. And you curl down the sides, and you can just go for days. Oh, it's yeah. Great. It turns just, your, your bar, t- bar grip's pretty orange, though, I bet. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean, hey, there's ways that you don't even have to use your hands. <laughs> you can just get down in there. It's like eating just, out of a trough. Yeah, just yeah. graze. But it's, I mean, that's... I don't know about you, Kevin, but the whole time that you're biking, you're grazing. Yeah, oh, you're oh, just sure. constantly oh, yeah. eating food and getting calories. Oh, this is this is definitely something I want to hear about because I've heard so many good, um, just horrendous recipes from bike tours. Oh, there's no horrendous recipes that, when you'll uh, just consume anything. When you're hungry, What's the yeah. one that uh, I heard about a while back? The ramen bomb. The ramen bomb is is Ooh. one of my favorites. That's mm-hmm. like you you make instant ramen noodles with too much water and then you stir in a whole packet of instant mashed potatoes and it's like <laughs> it's like 2500 calories i think and like so much sodium like six times as Is much sodium like as normal. the idahoan the idahoan potatoes? mashed potatoes and okay. it's just so brown it's the brownest food you'll ever see and there's like no fiber it's and, so bad for you but and uh, delightfully <laughs> mono textured as yeah. well you don't even have to chew it. It really just so goes right down. It's ramen and, and instant, instant mashed, potatoes. Yeah. That sounds just Dude, despicable. It is. I mean, yeah. in any other circumstance, it is absolutely <laughs> heinous. But Oh, man. I, I did like a, a back of a napkin calculation on my first bike tour of like, how, many, how much am I eating? And I came out to like 6,000 calories a day. 
Yeah, it's not surprising. And, and I lost mm-hmm. weight. So Oh man. Yeah. You're yeah. you're just burning a shitload of calories. That, yeah, I can only imagine, especially on days when you have hill climbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or a headwind. Headwind's mm-hmm. way worse oh, than a hill climb. Wind's the worst. Wind is the bane of any bike tour's existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just atrocious. I had basically two straight weeks of a, a bike tour I was doing in Utah. I started from Salt Lake City and I was heading south and I was I was actually doing a grander tour of, of visiting every national park and national monument in Utah. But the first two weeks of that trip, every day was the same. I'd wake up at about 7.30, you know, wake up with the sunrise and have a lazy breakfast, drink some coffee. About 8.30, the winds would start picking up. And by the time that I was riding, it was, you know, just continually growing winds throughout the day. Every yeah. single day was the same. You, you know, you, you do it for a couple hours, you do it for a day or two, and it's, just, it's like this slow, constant agitation. Mm-hmm. It's basically if like someone's next to you and, you know, you get poked a couple times by that person, it's okay. Yeah. And then they just keep poking you <laughs> in the same spot. You know, hey, yeah. hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still in your face. That is a very frustrating experience. Yeah. Man. Yeah, headwinds must be brutal. I, I, I mean, so... You you did some bike touring in the Pacific Northwest down to like uh, California, right? Or no? No, no, that was James. So I, I okay. toured with James down in Baja, but oh, I, haven't, okay. I haven't done that spot. Cool. Yeah. Um, in Baja, what was uh, what was like the experience like? like Baja. What, what was uh, that part of Mexico like? Uh, it was fascinating and beautiful and different and uh as far as bike tours go it was probably one of the technically easiest bike tours we've done logistically it's a little bit more difficult um but but we actually started in tijuana and then we basically biked south Mm -hmm. uh and as we were doing that, we almost exclusively had tailwinds, which is like unheard. Wow! Of. Oh, really? And just really, uh, I it just it's just amazing. You like, Damn. you just like can't imagine that it's ever going to happen that way, and then it does. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the inverse of mm-hmm. what and you were actually, just talking about. In my experience, I spend like half the day being like, "Wow, I am kicking ass! <clears throat> I feel so good!" And then I see a flag, and I'm like, "Oh, I have a monster tailwind!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know when you have a monster tailwind when you're biking and you don't hear wind. Yeah, that's right. When you don't hear anything uh, at all, mm. and you're like, "Huh, it's so still out," uh-huh. and then you realize that you're just biking. You're moving at the same at speed, speed yeah. as the wind, <laughs> and you're like, "This is delightful." Yeah, it's really special. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Uh, back on the topic of food, uh, an exact opposite food of what Kevin was describing. I, I like to, uh, I'm a big fan of, um, multi, multiple textures in my, in my food. So uh-huh. one of my favorite lunchtime, uh, snacks is to lay out a tortilla and then put a bunch of Cheetos in it and cut up an avocado and put up whatever vegetables I have, you know, like peppers or broccoli. Uh, And so we've got, you know, we've got crunch, we've got some soft stuff going on. Uh, And then a thing, so a very very essential thing to the bike tours pantry is just items you can buy anywhere, right? Yeah. Which is tends to be gas stations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So every single gas station 
almost every single gas station has smoked oysters. What? Really? You take that can of smoked oysters <laughs> and you put it on Truckers, top of this man. tortilla. I know. I don't know what it is. Something about smoked oysters yeah. and like dog food. Every every gas. Well, station. it just doesn't spoil, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. a pickled <laughs> item, right? And I'll tell you that is it's it's good stuff right there. Huh. Nice. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Have you ever had oysters while you've been out? No, Kevin? actually, I struggle to even remember to eat vegetables. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's more about like density of calories. I had a rule. Actually, every bike tour I've done, I've had, I've had a rule where where I can't pass an ice cream shop without stopping for ice cream. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And that's an item you can continue to ride while consuming, while you eat, which yeah. is just so nice. Actually, so there's a lot of one of my favorite things about bike touring, and this is I guess road biking in general, but. Um, you can absolutely stuff yourself to the brim and then get back in the saddle and keep riding because you don't really move around. You uh, know, it doesn't, there's no it's like, not like going for a run. Yeah, exactly. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going slow and steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've been amazed by that and seeing like, uh, um, Anthony Mara, he was also on the podcast. That dude will just like post pictures of what he's eating and it's just like 10 pounds of gas station candy oh yeah and it's like this dude is like an elite athlete in terms of just you know the mountains that he crushes out and he's just eating skittles and snickers and whatever yeah yeah Yeah. i mean you just got to get a lot of calories so yeah that's that's kind of crazy to see so when you're out touring for you know i guess it's weeks at a time sometimes um what what are the what's the crux of like riding and and being out there yeah i mean there's there's a couple of different cruxes but i'd say the number one thing is you're just pretty much at the liberty of whatever is happening outside mm-hmm. and being prepared and being willing to just be very uncomfortable yeah if it's hot and humid you're going to be hot and sweaty if it's cold and freezing rain, you're going to be wet and cold, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting transition. You know, we live in houses where we can just step inside all the time if we want to avoid whatever's going on out there. Mm-hmm. And it's a transition that, that happens physically, but also mentally, you know, probably right around just like the first week, about the end of the first week. I feel like the first week of any bike tour is training for that bike tour. Totally. And then the rest of the bike tour is you're just you're just in the swing of things, you know. Yeah. People have asked me how do you train for a bike tour and it's like you know, you just you just get go out and go. Yeah. You'll do 30 miles the first day and 40 miles the next day. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you'll get really excited and do like 70 miles and then you'll wake up with a bunch of rash on your butt and be like, "Ah, I'm not moving today." Oh, really? You, you mm-hmm. know, you just get overexcited and mm-hmm. get going and push it a little too far and you're like, oh, "I need a rest day." So you you have days like that where you just pushed it too hard and then you'll just stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's amazing how much like the, the baseline will move throughout the course of a bike tour. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's really part of it is deciding what you want out of your bike tour and also like realizing that your, your limit is much farther out than you maybe thought. Yeah. What do you mean by the baseline? Like the average mileage? Like the average mileage coming? and what you expect out of yourself. Like, oh. for, like on this bike tour, I went across the country on 
it was like when I first started, I, you know, my first day was 40 miles or whatever. And then it went up. And then by the end of the first week, I was doing 70 miles. And I was like, that, that's pretty good. Nobody could sneeze at 70 miles in a day. Yeah. And then it kept going up from there. And it's like, it was still hot. It was still the Midwest, but I was just getting better at it and more used to it is a big part of it. <clears throat> and uh, it got to the point where it was like in, in Kansas, I had ridden 96 miles. And I was looking at a map and I was like, I could stop now if I was a little bitch or, <laughs> or I could ride like 34 more miles. <laughs> it was like yeah. 4.30 or 5 p.m. And I was just like, there's a little voice in my head being like, um, you know, you could do it. You yeah. could do it if you did, you know, if you weren't such a little bitch. So I did it. And so I ended up, this is the biggest day I've ever done on a bike. It was 132 miles. Wow, and and like by the, by the end of it. By like the last 10 miles, I was like literally screaming. <laughs> like, I was just, <laughs> yep. I was just screaming and being like, you know, why did I do this? And I, I got that, I got there, like it was Eastern Colorado, like, um, right as the sun was going down, I smashed a pint of Ben and Jerry's like gas station Ben and Jerry's mm-hmm. and then it went immediately to bed and I like couldn't move the next day. <laughs> I was going to ask how, how many miles did you do the next day? The next day yeah. I think I, d- I did, I actually did 65 and it was way harder than the previous day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going like eight miles an hour that day. Uh-huh. That's yeah. crazy though. Yeah. Almost what? 190 in two days though. Yeah. So, That's... I mean, but see the takeaway for me was that like, if, if I could do it, then it's not going to be enough, you know, which is like, it seemed like a metaphor for life. Kind of because when you're on a bike tour, like your life gets very simple and you measure your progress by one number. And and I came to realize like, like this is close to the limit of it being enjoyable. There's no reason to go past that limit. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, I bet you slept so well. Oh my God, dude. I was, I was comatose. <laughs> you never, you never sleep so hard in your life as, as laying down in your tent after a on the hard ground plus a mile. Yeah. yeah. You just dude, sleep I so bet. hard. Close your eyes and you're out. Yeah. I don't know that I've done anything that physically demanding. It, you would amaze yourself if you tried that. And that was my other takeaway is that like, you're capable of way more than you think. <clears throat> yeah. The, just the, from bike touring. If you can just trick yourself into wanting it, you could do a whole lot. So you mentioned saddle sores, though. Those get pretty nasty while you're out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can. I mean, I'm all about the leather saddle. Yeah. I was amazed when I first... He's a Brooks uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Just incredible, incredible saddle. Do you use chamois butter? I do now. You do do now? now. I was turned on to it. So the first three bike tours I did, I didn't use any chamois Mm -hmm. butter. And then I was turned on to it by a buddy. And What is chamois butter? It's so like, she, yeah, it's, lotion. It's like yeah. a, it, it's basically lotion. It's a lubricant, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the person I was, I was touring with, he was waking up in the morning and it would be cold out and he was taking this white cream out of this tube, which you got to figure, but <laughs> you got to figure that lotion was like 40 degrees or something. <laughs> it was right. the temperature of the air. And so yeah. I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no. Yeah. And you know, by like, must be worth it if someone's doing it. Must be worth it. Yeah. yeah. And where we were touring by two o'clock, it was like a hundred degrees. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's getting I, a little I, salty I into down that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I got into that life and it's, it's good. You can put it on day after day. Yeah. So I haven't good. used it yet. Never have to clean anything down there. You just go for weeks on end. Yeah. <laughs> That's another part which we haven't really discussed, but when you're on a bike tour, you just get absolutely disgusting. Filthy. You just get so, yeah. so disgusting. Like, like 
it's embarrassing to stand in a public place. Yeah. But it's um, that baseline. Your, yeah. Your baseline <laughs> mileage goes up. Your baseline tolerance for filth. Yeah. yeah. You're it's just amazing. like, I'm just going to be this way for weeks. Right. And whatever. And when you, when you have a shower, it's like, it's divine. Yeah. It's so totally. good. And then you put on the same filthy shit that you took off. And it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you have no way to wash your clothes. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you'll do some, like, at least scrub it down in a lake or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Soak it in a... Go jump in a lake. In a public yeah. restroom. That's got to feel good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I take a, a, a towel and clog up the sink in, in public restrooms and then soak my clothes in it with a bar of soap and really scrub the armpits and such. There you go, and, yeah. Hey, it works. I think one of the aspects of bike touring that I find really interesting is the potential for traveling for long periods of time on a really small budget. Mm-hmm. Like, would you say that it is really, really cheap? Absolutely. It's extreme, 100%. Extremely cheap. Yeah. And there's there's a, a million ways to bike tour. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of just like not paying for a hotel and yeah it's almost uh an issue of pride i would say yeah it's it's not that you know there have been plenty of circumstances oh, yeah. where it's like ah you know gotta pay but there's something that seems so wrong to pay to sleep you know mm-hmm. like if I'm, if I'm just gonna pay 60 dollars to go somewhere to sleep because that's all you're gonna do on a bike tour yeah uh, shower is nice, but mm-hmm. you can pay five bucks at a yeah, I guess or something. It is but... important to point out here. I don't think we've talked about that, that you guys are carrying camping gear yeah. and you are camping every night. You're not staying in hotels. Yeah. I weighed my bike before, uh, one of my tours when I was doing the Utah tour and, and it came in just over a hundred pounds with water, uh-huh. with, with, with some water. Yeah. yeah okay. That's hundred pounds. Heavy. Uh, my dry weight mm-hmm. was 70 pounds. Are you both pounds. on okay. big haul truckers? No, I've got a Fuji tour. Or long haul truckers? What long-haul truckers. Surly long haul truckers yeah. is uh, kind of my the, whip. Yeah, that seems very common. What are you on? Kevin? It's a Fuji touring bike. It's like it's pretty similar. It's yeah. maybe slightly cheaper. Those bikes are amazing. I I've never owned one, but I've ridden one. And when I got on it, I was just like, man, what is it about this bike? It's it incredible. just feels so good, and it's so so sturdy mm-hmm. yeah they're great bikes and they mm-hmm. feel even better when they're loaded down 60 yeah. pounds 70 pounds of gear. i've heard that especially they, they on downhills like, it's just like a oh, bobsled yeah. totally like oh, you're yeah. just yeah that sounds really fun i did a two-day downhill in colorado oh i ended wow. my day From going where? downhill you know i can't remember which pass it was but that it was like wonderful. a, it was basically like a 35 mile downhill. That's crazy. And it was after an entire day of climbing and I started going downhill and I, you know, I knocked out about 10, 15 miles pretty quickly. And then I looked at my map and I was like, man, I got like another 20, 25, 30 miles of downhill. I am going to wake up and just do 30 miles of downhill tomorrow. So like breaking up a full downhill in two days, it was like a couple hours of yeah, riding. That's insane. It was just, oh, kind of savor the flavor. Yeah, Keep exactly. It tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. It's nice. a good call. So I want to go back to the budget aspect of this. For for you guys, what do you feel like your your daily budgets are on these trips? I know there's a lot of upfront costs with like buying a buying a nice bike, buying the uh what are the saddlebags called? I have Ord Liebs. What do you have? Isn't there another oh, word paniers. for them, it's like oh, paniers. Paniers. That's, that's like yeah. the French word for saddlebag, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. screw the French saddlebags. 
No, so you you have to buy, obviously buy a bike, which is like, uh, what did you guys spend on your bikes? I got mine for I think it was thirteen fifty, and okay. I got it used from someone. It's just perfect size for me. Yeah. And and uh, I already had a, a a leather saddle on it that was getting close to being broken in. So then I was able to like really make it fit my butt. Nice. Yeah. So that was nice. I already had like Throw a little chamois butter you know, on like that. Five hundred miles on it. So you just. You know, Put another 500 in, it's good to go. It's like an old baseball mitt now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And what about you? I spent $380 on my bike. And what about all up with all the gear? What would you guys say? It, say I it did is? mine, including the bike, for around 1500 bucks upfront cost, mm-hmm. which included like an ultralight tent and some saddlebags and some like clothes and stuff, yeah. um, which isn't, it ain't nothing. Um but I'm still using a lot of this stuff. You know, I ride the bike around everywhere. Oh, yeah. Because the uh, touring bike is actually, like, the perfect commuting bike. So mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. worth owning. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I use my saddlebags nearly every They're like great every around town bike. bikes. I yeah. know. Yeah, Get groceries on it. You know, everything with it. It's great. Sweet. Yeah, and having the paneers makes it easy to just go and grab groceries. Totally. Yep. Carry two 30 racks on the back. No problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> yeah, or uh, throw a speaker system on the back yeah also done that yeah Yeah. um so once you've got all the gear what is like a daily budget if you're if you're camping and stuff how much are you spending on food the the biggest expense is food yeah and it really comes down to what quality of food do you want Uh uh-huh you can you can live under ten dollars a day bike touring yeah like period, period. Like that is that is uh-huh. your. Uh, that's the bottom line is under ten dollars, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I, I did a lot of shopping at WalMarts, and it's like, at a Walmart you could get six eggs for thirty cents. It's just mind-boggling <laughs> how cheap food is. Is the takeaway? Like we we live yeah. in an era of like total abundance, and yeah. uh, and you can do it as cheap as you want to do it. And I did some stealth camping too, um, just like on on unposted land. Which mm-hmm. and then yeah. you got to figure like a campsite it could be fifteen dollars, which seems like a lot of money when you're touring. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to pay to camp somewhere. Yeah. I'm all about the stealth camping. Yeah. When I was bike touring in in Michigan, I've heard a lot about this too. This mm-hmm. is also like a very big aspect of mm-hmm. uh, bike touring. Is like people telling me they sleep or slept in the the courtyard of an elementary school or something multiple times and then they yeah. they like fucked up and didn't realize there was school the next morning <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm yeah. pretty sure that was uh that was anthony mara that, that, that or someone that sounds yeah. right so so i was in, in michigan is where i did the most stealth camping because i was in more densely populated areas so i would you know jump into the woods between a couple houses and sleep there. I yeah. often slept at elementary schools because it was summer and school was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball dugouts were great. Dugouts are good. Oh, I was about to yeah. say really good. I was actually sleeping in a baseball dugout one night. Just got to sweep and away all the sunflower seed shells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the big league chew that yeah. spattered all over the walls. <laughs> you get that out of there. But I was sleeping in a baseball dugout one night. And it, was, it was perfect. It was yeah. pouring down, thunderstorm. And so I was kind of, you know, wake up the next day and it's facing one way. You can't see what's on the other side of the baseball dugout. So I, I pack up and it's in the middle of a field. Yeah. So I come out around the field and there's about 50 uh, middle school kids and parents that are all like 
getting ready for football practice and I'm just you know there's only one way out I gotta go through I gotta go through the gate so I just walk right through their football practice with all my bike stuff just uh hi good morning don't mind me just uh you know I'm just basically homeless (laughs) yeah that's solid though it's good like windbreak too Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah right it's covered yep yeah baseball dugouts are great I've slept in a lot of playgrounds uh, usually you can sleep anywhere. Just you in just the roll slide, in. Yeah. like the bottom <laughs> of the slide. No, I just take a little cover from whatever. Uh, but first kid r- comes down in the morning and wakes you up. Yeah. Oh, there's my alarm clock. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say a good rule of thumb is just, you know, if you're showing up after dark and you're respectful and then you're packing up around sunrise and you're getting out of there, no one ever cares. No one right. cares. I've never no. been approached and told to leave somewhere when sleeping in like a public pavilion. Uh, but I'm usually not, you know, loitering around in the morning or in the evening. Right. If Especially feel- when if they do question you about it, you're like, hey, I came from Salt Lake City and you're 350 miles away. And they're like, wait, what? And then they suddenly have an understanding of the. I've actually never, it's never even come to that. It's it's never even come to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I feel like that would be, that would be where I would go if it did did ever come up. Yeah. But actually there were, there were like plenty of times when, um, people would offer their lawns for me Mm -hmm. to sleep on. Yeah. Like, uh, there was a time in Glenwood Springs that I was like at the grocery store, the sun was going down. I was calling camp, like any campsite that was in within 20 miles, which when the sun's going down and you don't know where you're sleeping and you're 20 miles away from where you think you might sleep, like that's a really stressful situation. That would it be is. a great thing to offer up. I, I totally. would totally offer up my backyard mm-hmm. to someone and, and even like use my shower for five bucks or whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Warm showers is, yeah. uh, is a website that, that basically oh, really? connects people that host their, uh, it, it's specifically for bike tours, but I think it's open up to other travelers as well now. But, but the, but the idea is that you can be a host and you can be a, a, a traveler and, and they just, it connects you together and, people offer different things if it's just yeah. a shower or a backyard or you know a couch and i so should put our backyard on that list that'd be great oh yeah you would you would get from what i've heard from people who host is you would get a lot yeah. of people so you have some great conversations you would yeah <laughs> for sure well reed lived in our backyard for a little while um, uh, i think by a little while you mean a couple months right yeah something like that <laughs> but uh i don't think i was home at the time i think i was traveling but he was was saying like oh man it's so weird it rains every morning here in salt lake and everyone was like no it doesn't and he's like yeah it does at like three in the morning it rains every day and and he found out later it was the sprinklers was the sprinklers yeah that's not surprising to me. <laughs> sprinklers are a thing yeah you gotta keep an eye out for when you're so sleeping in a field that's uh-huh. a thing that uh i would have to probably take care of if i had people sleeping sure. in my backyard but yeah it's such a weird thing because um you know, like you can't just pull up to a cow pasture and pitch a tent and like hang out there. I, I mean, you you can, but you're you're also rolling the dice because in the U.S. people are pretty serious about trespassing laws. Mm-hmm. I know in Iceland, at least this is my understanding, is you can legally camp on anyone's property as long as they don't have it posted. So like the whole country is any farmland or anything you can just roll up and like put a tent up and and like camp as long as you're not causing any harm or anything Mm -hmm. that's great so that sounds pretty cool i wish there was uh 
more of a system like that here. Utah is not far off from that. We've got oh, really? something higher than 70% of our land is, is, is public. And mm. it's, it's really been the, the bike tour I did in Utah, which is like 1900 miles. It was the easiest place to find camping. Oh, really? incredibly easy. Cool. I never felt like, ah, man, I just got to go another 20 miles until I find something. And that's like BLM or what? Uh, all sorts of range. There's um, national forest. There's BLM. Uh, there, there is a huge amount of BLM, which is uh, really easy. And in a lot, a lot of places, you'll see something fenced off. And I always just assumed in a car when I'd be driving by, well, yeah, you can't go through there. It's all just private land. But yeah. a lot of those fences, they just have a gate, and there'll be a cattle, cattle guard, mm-hmm. and there's just a sign that says, "Please close fence when you're done." Right. Yeah. You can you can really go in so many places. It's one of the huge differences between uh, like Colorado and Utah. I mm-hmm. would find um, I would find myself in situations where I'd have to continue biking for another 20, 25 miles to find a place to sleep in Colorado. That was never the case in Utah. Oh, that's it's really brutal. something special here. Yeah. That's got to suck if you're like ready to stop. When oh, you're ready really... and the sun goes down and you are like, I should not be biking in the dark. Yeah. Uh, it's scary to bike tour in the in the dark. Uh-huh. And do you carry a lot of like do you have a reflective vest and all that stuff yeah. on you? Yeah, but it's just still it's general rule of thumb is for me is I try to never bike in the dark. Yeah. Except for a couple full. That's moon when people rides are drinking and driving and stuff. It's, it's also just scary. It's scary and rural roads drivers are not expecting to see cyclists at night. Yeah. When they see you in the daytime, they're probably like, Well, that's weird. Yeah, um, but they see you from a mile away. And they see you right. from a mile away. Yeah. And and at night, I mean, like, that is that is when cyclists get killed, like, in, like, trans-American races and stuff, hmm. is when they're biking past sundown on a rural highway. Oh. So it's just, if you can at all avoid it, it's just better not to ride at night. Yeah, that's that's a big aspect of it, is just the um, the safety. Mm-hmm. It's it's can be really, it, it is dangerous. It is, right? it's dangerous, yeah. Um, I, and I would say 99.9% of people in cars are very respectful. Yeah. I have had a couple people intentionally run me off the road. Uh, really? Or yell at me for, for biking in the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, a truck pull up and slow down and then uh, slam on the gas to shoot a plume of black uh, yeah. exhaust yeah. in my face right. as he's looking out the window to make sure that he like really blasted me. Yeah don't really know what's going on with those sorts of people but 99.9 percent of the people are very respectful and give you space um i would say like even the even the scary interactions are probably just due to people being ignorant Mm -hmm. rather than malicious like there was a time in kansas that that there was a guy who like he buzzed me like he was in a tow truck and he buzzed me and i was like ooh. and then he pulled over and got out of his car and as i rode up he was like man, I nearly hit you. And I was like, yeah, I noticed. And then he, he was like really apologetic, but he seemed to think that it was like my fault that he didn't see me. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like wearing a vest, man. Like, I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, a lot of drivers just need to pay more attention. Yeah. And it's not like they're trying to scare me. It just happens sometimes. I've had people do that to me here in Salt Lake a lot mm-hmm. where they feel very entitled about, like roads are for cars. Right. And even though I'm on a road that is not highly trafficked at all, um, the problem is some of them don't realize that they've got a red light in front of them 
And then I come up and bang on their window and I'm sitting right next to them. Yeah. And they're like sweating bullets, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, didn't expect to see you again. Yeah. I flicked you off and Whoops. drove off. You remember 10 seconds ago? <laughs> I'm a yeah. human being too. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand that mindset that some people just hate seeing bikes on the road. It's really strange. Some people just hate anything that's different. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's That's a whole rabbit hole, and it's really only tangentially related to bike touring. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So most of the time, you don't feel like um, safety is a is a huge issue. No, it's a, sa- it's a big issue for, like, my mom. And for other people in my life, but it never, it never felt like a particularly dangerous thing. Sounds like a lot of the stuff I do as well. Right. There are some incredibly narrow roads in Baja. Uh, actually the majority of the roads have no shoulders at Mm -hmm. all. Uh, and, and that is definitely terrifying when you're on a road with no shoulder and a semi is passing you and there's a semi coming the other way. You just get off the road, right? If you can. Yeah. If you can. And there's a a gravel embankment that drops down four feet to your right, you know, and you're just, uh, you're just hanging on, you Uh you know, you clench. Yeah. Is it a, are the roads narrow enough that two cars approaching each other have to slow down? Uh, they probably should. (laughs) Yeah. But they don't. But they don't. Yeah. That's like India. What they do is the roads are very it's like a two lane road, right? So, uh, one direction each way. And, but the road, the cars drive in the center because the whole road is just terrible Mm -hmm. and there's potholes everywhere. And then they're driving at like 40, 50 miles per hour. And then when the next, when the car comes, they both drive straight at you and straight at each other until the very last second. They both, divert and just do like a little like whoop around each other and it is so terrifying for the first couple hours that you see like your your driver doing it because we had a guy drive us through rajasthan in india that did that and it was so horrendous did like you ever, how... ever scream <laughs> there were i feel like i would have screamed <laughs> I, there's actually like a video that ryan has has of me ryan rombo mm-hmm. of of me like just shaking my head in in like dismay of how sketchy <laughs> how, how what is going, is going on yeah <laughs> i'm just like what are we doing it's good it keeps you on your toes and the indian thing there is uh is like hey my seatbelt. i can't get to the you know when the like seatbelt, the buckle is down the in there, connection yeah. thing is like down in the seat yeah and they're like oh no you don't need it i'm like I, i'm pretty sure i do <laughs> And I, might. <laughs> uh, I think what they mean is like the police won't care. Right. But they don't. Yeah. The, it's yeah, the seatbelts seat for me, not thing. for the police. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a, a funny story about police. Speaking of police. Yeah. Um, so this was my first bike tour. I was probably, you know, 15 days in or so. And this was this was over in Michigan. And I've been biking on this road for a long time. I'm just in the woods in, in the backwoods of Michigan and. And there's no side roads or anything. I've been on it for probably like 10 or 15 miles. And this road kind of just becomes a one-way road and kind of wraps around. Uh, And next thing I know, there's I'm just on an on-ramp to a highway, which (laughs) I was like, ah, shit, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And I look down, you know, look down at the map and I'm like, okay, well, I can go around this. If I go back, I have to do an additional 30, 35 miles to get around this. Okay, well, I got like two miles until the next exit. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's not bad. It's like, uh, whatever, an interstate, you know, people are going like 75 miles an hour. It's fine. I'm just going two miles. So I get on the highway, and I'm about 100 feet off of the on-ramp, and a cop pulls me over. <laughs> Immediately getting yeah. on the highway. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just like biking. I didn't even see him at first. He had his lights on, but, you know, I'm just like paying attention to the road, and then I hear that whoop, whoop. So, you know, I turn around. I can't really pull over anymore, so I just kind of park my bike, and he walks up to me. He's like, so you just thought you'd take a bike ride on the interstate today. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. Like, I just I got confused. I didn't want to go around. He's like, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and in good uh, Midwestern fashion, he's like, let me just escort you to the next exit. Yeah. I was like, that's awesome. Uh, and every interaction I've had with, uh, with cops while bike touring has been, has been really positive. Yeah. It's really great. They usually just want to make sure you're safe. Cool. Which is it's really nice. Wow, that is really nice. I don't know if you've had the same experiences over there, Kevin. Generally. Um, uh, here's a funny one. So, like, the middle third of my bike tour from Salt Lake City, or to Salt Lake City, was along the Trans-America Trail, which is like the, it's like the Appalachian Trail for cyclists. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a route from Oregon to Virginia. They first did it in 1972. Um, or 76, I don't remember when, but it was like the bicentennial like anniversary of America's independence. And um so it's like probably the the most important and well trafficked like route for mm-hmm. bike tourists in North America. And that means that there's like a, a bunch of really good services along the route for tourists. And there's this little town in Missouri. There's a bunch of little towns that have like hostels just for cyclists. And you know, it's just the municipality that maintains it and mm-hmm gives you access and whatever and there was this little town in missouri that i rolled up to and uh my map said that there was a hostel there so i was like standing at the crossroads at this little town looking at my map and this woman comes up and she's like are you looking for the hostel and i was like yeah and she was like the police can let you in you should just call 911 and (laughs) tell them that you're a cyclist and you need to get into the hostel and i was like really like 911 and she's like yeah yeah, they're not doing it's, anything right now. You can do that. And I was like, okay, thanks, lady. And she went away, and I was like, I'm not calling 911. <laughs> I was like, that is that is literally ridiculous to call 911 to, to be let into a hostel. Yeah. And uh, I looked up, like, the non-emergency number for the police, and I, I got the police the police office, and, <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm a cyclist. I'd like to be let into the hospital. And she's like, okay, let me transfer you to 911 dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's some small town America. That is a, absolutely the small town America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, awesome. and yeah, the cop who let me in was like, yep, should have just called 911. <laughs> <laughs> Would have gotten us faster. Yeah, exactly. The best part is the lady telling you like, yeah, they're not up to anything. Yeah, right. like, she, she already knows she like already, what the cops are doing. Yeah. In the moment. <laughs> you just have to look down the street and you see their yeah. squad car park. Right. And you know they're see not See all 12 at houses. At the cafe. Right. Nothing going on. <laughs> That's great. Small town America on on a bicycle is is really nice. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Biking down small small town America Main Street. Yeah, that's got to be a great thing. Uh, based on what you said before, like when you're in a car or when you when you fly around, you skip so much. Where you mm-hmm. you go from one tourist destination to another, and I'm I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, and a lot of the really interesting stuff is in between. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that when I'm traveling is like you, you miss so much of what 
the real country is like, especially America. I think a lot of mm-hmm. um, people in the U.S. probably don't see that stuff as much, and you guys get real in the thick of it with it's, stuff oh, like it's that. Crazy. Uh, I saw crazy. Absolutely. Things. Yeah. I mean, you wake up in the morning and you got one goal, right? You're going to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And everything in between is just absolute freedom. You can make it in five hours to your destination, lay down and read a book for 12 hours. You know, mm-hmm. you can stop at a coffee shop. Uh, yeah. I absolutely love stopping at coffee shops and just chatting with whoever's there for like two or three hours. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm usually like charging my phone and maybe charging right. my speaker and doing other things as well. Mm-hmm. Enjoying the either air conditioning or Is heat, that staff but, or like people just there or what uh just like you know small town locals because who, who yeah. see a cyclist and they're like i want to talk to this exactly guy. Yeah. you do get a lot of repeat conversations but if you're if you have the conversation for more than five minutes you can get past the pleasantries yeah. of what are you doing and then you get into hey you know what i'm going to chat with this you know 85 year old dude for two hours and just have a couple of cups of coffee mm-hmm. with him yeah and it's it's really nice to be able to have that freedom and and you know kevin you talked about this a little bit earlier that when you're when you're bike touring solo you have that absolute freedom mm-hmm. where you say oh yeah you know what i am just gonna sit down and sit here for three hours yeah and a big part of bike touring alone is that you get lonely and that yeah. really your only outlet is to chit chat and actually yep. i've had some like really fascinating conversations with people just like at a McDonald's, like in yeah. in Chanute, Kansas, or whatever, um, and yeah, once you get past like the explanation of what you're doing, they sort of open up and tell you why they're interested. Like there was a fellow who, this was the guy in in McDonald's in Chanute, like his his army buddy, like raced in the Olympics on the cycling team for like I think it was Bolivia, and this guy, this was back when you had to when you were a cyclist racer, you had to literally strap your shoes to the pedals and this guy could he would his trick was that he would put a penny on the ground and then get strap his feet to a cycle and then sort of roll around the penny and pick it up without oh, yeah. yeah and he could like maintain balance enough to pick up the penny off the ground oh crazy wow yeah and it's just stuff like that stays with you you know mm-hmm. when you chit chat with people yeah who are who are some people that you've met along the way that stand out uh well, there's there's one recent story that that stands out. One individual that truly stands out, uh, not because of the conversation though. It was very lacking mm-hmm. in conversation, but just the interaction was so confusing and mind blowing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was down <coughs> bike touring uh, this most recent tour down in Baja uh, uh-huh. with a buddy James, and you know we're crossing from the west coast over to the east. I were going to the Sea of Cortez and and. Uh, so we're like up in the mountains, the desert mountains, and mm. we're, I don't know, the closest town is 10 miles, 15 miles or so. And we're packing up. It's like 7 in the morning or 7.30 in the morning. And it's already getting pretty hot out there. Uh, and I'm actually changing. I got my pants down. Uh, and I look up, expecting not to see anyone at all. Uh, and there's this guy walking right towards me. Oh, I got to quickly pull my my pants up yeah. <laughs> uh hola <laughs> buenos dias uh and uh this guy comes he's just got a grocery bag he's got nothing else and uh he basically just asks if you have a little bit of food I like, yeah absolutely so i gave him an apple and like uh had some tuna i gave him some tuna mm-hmm. I asked him if you want any water or anything he said no 
he didn't want any water. Uh, so we were like chit-chatting a little bit. He, he tells us his name is Miguel. Um, and then he offers us uh, a little uh, tchotchke from his bag. So I got a, a, a little model of a Santa Muerte that's now strapped to my bike. And it's been there ever since. And then he just walks off into the desert. He has yeah. no water, no food besides the food that I gave him. And in a grocery bag full of uh, like 20 little... Uh, figurines that's it it's really weird adios <laughs> and then we just biked on <laughs> and no like, explanation just, do you want some water or anything uh and my, you know my spanish is pretty poor james's spanish is is pretty good but but even just the the small amount of conversation you just have these weird interactions when you're bike touring that's yeah. for sure <laughs> <laughs> quite a mystical desert a mystical desert person. man yeah. and i i wonder if, if if perhaps he was the true uh santa muerte it could in, be in our, in mm. our just the grocery bags just to throw you off right right but n- hey now i got a now i'm a follower of the santa muerte i got strapped to my bike yeah that's crazy uh what about you kevin you anything come to mind you nothing that was really that baffling um but i had a lot of like really unexpected good converse conversations and interactions like there was this one mm-hmm. time one of my worst days on the bike tour i was like in pueblo colorado and I was in a Walmart parking lot and it was raining sideways mm-hmm. and I was like just miserable for obvious reasons. And a woman came up and she's like, Hey, uh, I found a $20 bill on the ground and she gave me the $20 bill and she's like, you look like you needed this. <laughs> and I was like, I actually did. Thank you. <laughs> the generosity of strangers. Yeah. yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You have no idea how many flaming hot Cheetos <laughs> yeah. this by. This is at least yeah. four hours. Worth. Yeah, right. Yep. Oh, really man. kept me in flaming hots. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. People do feel uh, rather inclined to to give you things when yeah. you're when you're bike touring. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's almost like they, they they're like, yeah, you know what? I want to encourage this person to keep going. You should have like a donations accepted sign on the back of your bike. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, one bike tour I did was uh, to raise money, but it wasn't for myself. It was for for SUA, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Yeah. So I was really talking. Sure, wearing wearing shirt. Yeah. Uh, actually, yep, wearing <laughs> yeah. that shirt right now. He's, he's got the Southern Utah Wilderness yeah. Alliance shirt on right now. Yeah. I mean, it's all about keeping those public lands in Utah that that I was talking about really. Keeping, yeah. keeping those public, right? Keeping that access yeah. available for everyone. And there's a big war going on. So for anyone listening who's not familiar with SUA, uh, it's S-U-W-A. They are an organization who fights to keep public lands public and to not sell them off to the highest bidder, which are usually mm-hmm. oil and gas companies. So, And Utah is uh, one of the top three. We've got uh, Alaska has more public land and Nevada does. But Utah's by percentage right or by acreage? By percentage. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Utah's right up there. I'm sure no one fucks with Alaska in terms of acreage. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's definitely <laughs> true. Definitely true. That's, that's uh, but, one. you know, we could we could very easily turn into Texas. I think they have, like, less than 1% public land, maybe 2% what? or something. It's, it's, it's yeah. really baffling how little public land Texas has. Wow. It's, but, like, it can happen. It yeah. can yeah. very easily happen. Oh, yeah. It would happen here first, probably. And, and it probably would. Yeah. yeah. There's natural resources that can be extracted from the grounds in Utah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there there are people in this state that don't want restrictions on off-road, off-roading access. Yeah. And, 
you know, the, the, the thing is, is finding a balance for everyone to be able to recreate in whatever way that they yeah. find appropriate for themselves, which means that everyone needs to sacrifice a little bit. But in order to keep those lands public, it's it's a, it's going to be an ongoing fight. Yeah. And everyone needs to be conservative in in the fashion of like mm-hmm. you need to understand that, you know, you can't have access to everything. Right. Um, conservative in, in a literal like, sense, meaning like to conserve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting balance. Um, so I'm I'm sure Texas is uh, is a really rough place to bike tour in that regard in terms of camping, right? Probably, unless you want. Yeah, to pay. I mean, you might get a bunch of friendly people that are down for you to stay on their front lawns, though. Mm-hmm. You might not have an aesthetic uh, desert overlook necessarily, or uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I love that about Utah. I, some of my favorite campsites are uh, BLM or. Or just public lands like that. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Respect. So when you guys aren't bike touring, uh, what are some of your favorite travel spots that you guys have done just outside of bike touring? I only bike tour. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, almost my unironic answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not... Uh, Actually, so I was down in um, the Chilean side of Patagonia just just a couple months ago. Yeah, and that place talk about some uh, public lands. That place yeah, you is met up incredible. With Jordan, right? Yeah, so I met up with my girlfriend down there, mm-hmm. Jordan. She had just been finishing up her field season. She's a, an ornithologist, mm-hmm. so she finished up her field season in Argentina, and then we, uh, you know, hopped on a plane and flew over to Chile. And and the amount of protected lands. In central and southern Chile, the Patagonia region is mind blowing. Yeah, and it is just so expanse. And I think, you know, they really know how to protect their lands because I was trying to figure out ways that we could go on hikes in different areas. Like, oh, how do we get into this region? I'm like, ah, uh, you don't. Yeah, there's just not trails. There's not roads. So this place, there are places that are very much protected mm-hmm. only because humans can't get there. And you know, maybe that's the right way to protect and conserve land is keep us assholes out yeah i've heard that about paragliding there is that you can paraglide into those places but if Mm. you land you're in deep shit yeah because you basically are just bushwhacking for like five days to get out (laughs) yeah Yeah. kayaking is a way to get in and i'd love to go back and and really try to explore some of the islands they have fjords there incredible yeah like just speckled uh with islands i'm into that Mm -hmm. that's one of the like fjordlands one of the three in the world that's like a big one. Very expansive. It's basically Norway, uh, Chile, and New Zealand that yeah. have the three big ones. Mm. I would love to go and explore that on a kayak. It would be and, amazing. And it's really the only way. I mean, you can Yeah. Let's pack raft in or, or get on a kayak, a sea Yeah, kayak. what do they call that area? It's got a really mystical, strange name, but I don't know. Hmm. You can see on the globe here. Yeah, we'll look on that globe. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Um, there's a yeah, there's some some name of a of an area around there, and I can't remember what it is. But it's like a, for all your listeners right now, you can uh, use this great website called uh, the Google. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just look up. Uh, but we have a physical globe here. Yeah, that's how we roll. I see a, a sailboat and, um, you know, Ferdinand Magellan. But Man, that's, that's a uh, big-ass sailboat. 
Yeah, both of the maps in this room or the globes are like way out of date. Like I'm sure this globe has like Yugoslavia on it. And then if you look at that map behind you, it's got like most of Northern Africa is just a giant region. That's wow, like, that is, <laughs> yeah, what is that region? Like? I don't know. That's really We've interesting. We've got French West Africa. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big uh, section they were dominating. So one thing that I wanted to mention about bike touring um, that sort of sets it apart from other kinds of traveling is that it's about as close to carbon neutral as you can get. Yeah. Um, because your fuel is pancakes or, <laughs> you know, whatever you put in your mouth. Yeah. And um, there were times that I like took the train home. But if you do it from your front door, then you're going to see amazing things that you wouldn't see otherwise. You're going to have like, you're going to, you're going to realize how much stuff is just, so how much interesting stuff is just a straight line from your, from your home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really the most valuable thing about travel to me is when you come home, you get to be like, have a new perspective on it and, oh yeah, and to do it cheaply and, and sustainably is like really, really appealing to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that is a really interesting aspect of it, of just being human powered, um, I know people can get like pretty hardcore about it. And, uh, we talked about that on one of the previous episodes of like, um, human powered adventures and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it, it is really cool to, to not be burning gas and mm -hmm. to be even flying on an airplane is a huge amount of, uh, of gas that you're burning. Um, and the other thing that you brought up is just the the idea that you you do travel in a straight line while you're bike touring and you run into all the stuff that you normally wouldn't mm -hmm. i i really like that idea because that's something that i've only um when i'm traveling sometimes i've come in contact by accident is things where you're trying to get from a to b and it's so hard to get from a to b in certain places that you end up meeting tons of weird people along the way. And, mm -hmm. um, those can be really good experiences. Yeah. I mean, it's not about, it's not about what is at a and what is at B. It's about everything that's in between. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and for then sure. just having the freedom to stop yeah. and explore all those pieces between A and B. That's absolutely my favorite part about bike touring. It's just freedom. Yeah. Take a left down this road. Sure, why not? Oh man, keep going. Yeah, Especially solo. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's because really solo. Special. I've talked about this with um, with Annette, my girlfriend, quite a bit. Is that um, only when you're solo traveling do you have the ultimate freedom of literally making decisions on the fly and yeah. not discussing it with anyone and taking a poll of how everyone's feeling and where they want to go. You just literally are like, "That's a weird road." I'm going to go down that. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's really a cool thing to be able to do, uh, with yourself. And it, it helps you to, to know yourself more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I feel like bike touring would be a ton of that for sure. Making decisions on the fly about, you know, if I take this highway, it goes straight there, but I could take this little detour or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like this road says it's a dead end in five miles. I wonder yeah. what's past that dead end. <laughs> I'm going to go check it out. Yeah. Probably a couple 
flat tubes. <laughs> yeah, probably a couple <laughs> flat tubes. So was the carbon neutral aspect of it a big thing for you as well, Joey? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not something... It, it's something you don't even think about when you're biking, mm-hmm. right? You're not thinking about fuel. You're not thinking about paying someone to get you from point A to point B, uh, which is great because then it's just totally off your mind. Yeah. You're not... Yeah, so, so absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I, I really like that. That that just really um, makes the whole thing so much more individualist that mm-hmm. you are powering the whole thing with calories and and it's so cheap and you're not you're not contributing to polluting the environment and things like that right. very much. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's, as far as the self powered thing goes, the the moment that it became real to me was when I crossed a time zone. And I was like, yeah. wow, the, like the earth is a clock face and I've gone from <laughs> noon to one. Like it's, I've gone that far around this big rock. It was just, it was mind blowing. That's an interesting way to think about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've only done long distance like motorcycle travel. And I can say even that has been challenging at times. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, yeah. Like I, I would say any, any method that takes a long ass time. I mean, motorcycles go the same speed as cars. So right. I can't say it was that challenging, but. Um, I did it a lot in New Zealand and put, you know, over 10,000 miles on my motorcycle while, while I was there, but it just rained and rained and rained. And it was so just like brutal at times and I would get plastic bags and put them over my socks (laughs) and then put my feet into my shoes Mm. so that I wouldn't get my, my socks wet, but it, was just miserable anyway it didn't matter so yeah i can only imagine bike touring is is just like the misery constant must be uh must be pretty hard to deal with but there's also those just like perfect days you know you might have a week of rain and and wind and then you know that next day is just perfect and sunny and you got a tailwind and you got nowhere to be except for just sitting on your saddle and yeah. just pedaling along. That's my favorite thing. You got some tunes going. Yeah. You got some Beastie Boys, you know, just taking you through. <laughs> you got a little bit of a downhill. You got a 1% downhill grade, so it doesn't even feel like you're pedaling. And it's just absolute paradise. Oh, man. Find a nice little pond, side of the road, pull over, take a dip, get back on, just keep going. Yeah, that's that's one thing about bike touring that I like is that it's like the volume on your life is turned up. Because the the lows the lows are very low the lows mm-hmm. are pretty desperate, but the highs are sublime. Like yeah. it's, it's just and and if someone was watching you, they'd just be like, "Well, he's still riding his bike, you know what's the, what's different about today?" Yeah. But on the inside, it's just yeah. like it's it's an insane emotional roller coaster in the best way. I have cried on both extremes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely yeah. uh-huh. cried on both really? extremes. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and I just there's nothing like being on your bike in in crying out of joy oh my god and like just the other thing when you're biking alone you just get weird right you get really so i just have these conversations with myself and just laugh and laugh or scream as loud as you can yeah and just scream at the winds because you're alone there's no one around there's no one around anyone that's around you is inside of a metal box going 60 miles an hour they're not paying attention to you Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I was just biking in the rain. Just your mouth wide open. Yeah. You know, just out there biking in the rain one time. And I just stripped all my clothes off except for my my underwear and and, and my my bike pad. And just, like, screaming at at the rain and biking. But, like, having a good time with it. Yeah. You know? Not screaming out of frustration, but just, like, surrendering yourself to the situation. Surrendering yourself to the elements. And then the emotions just become surrendered as well. Man. It's really, yeah, it's like... It's a really rich experience. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the high highs and low lows is what really makes an interesting life. Because mm-hmm. yeah. contrast is is key, I think. Yep. That That is really poetic. I think you guys have kind of sold me on bike touring. I really oh, want to do it now. I, I hope I have the physical and mental, uh, I guess perseverance to to do it but i would love to do a bike tour sometime well if there's one thing that you know all the listeners and that you take from this is that this is the only way to train for a bike tour is just to start bike touring yeah and just just starting it it's It's like literally just starting yeah like anything you're just gonna suck for a while and Mm -hmm. then you'll get better sweet i i think we should wrap it up but thank you guys so much for coming joey howell and kevin box yeah. Bike touring extraordinaires, eating ramen Tom. bombs, and you'll see him on on a highway near you sometime. Cheers, man! Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Strange Places. If you like the show, please take a moment to leave us a good review or share this episode on social media or just tell your friends about it in real life. Imagine that. Each good review or share really does go a long way, so thanks in advance. You can also subscribe to get more episodes. Just search for Strange Places wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love to travel, you should check out flightsmachine.com where you can get alerts when flight prices drop at your home airport. Each week, you'll get alerts for huge drops in airfare to destinations in the U.S. and all over the world. Join for free or visit flightsmachine.com slash strangeplaces for 50% off your first six months of all-access membership. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.